And stay standing. Uh, we're going to read God's Word together from Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 29 uh, through 39, uh, the last two sections of Matthew 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's a Bible in the seat around you somewhere. Uh, we're, we're getting a little bit more scarce on those. We'll, we'll hopefully have all the, uh, those replaced soon. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, this, this text is on page 821. And uh, you, can, you can find that text. Our brother Brent Duke is going to read uh, this text for us. So, yeah, thanks, Brent. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, we'll start on 820 and then go on to 21. Um, then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do... Right here, 29. Oh. My bad. That's, that's no, my bad, Brent. No, that's my fault. All right. Jesus went on and from there Jesus went on from there and walked beside the sea of Galilee Galilee and he went up on the mountain and sat down there and great crowds came to him bringing with them the lame the blind the crippled the mute and many others and they put them on at their feet at his feet and many others at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered. When he, when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, "I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way." And the disciples, disciples said to him, where are, we going, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. This be the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, thank you so much for um, the, the grace that you show to us uh, through the preservation of your word um, and through the proclamation of your word. And um, we, we pray today um, that, that what, is, uh, what is said um, is, is clear, um, is helpful, um, and uh, Lord, that your word would be what is on uh, display. Um, we, we, we desire to to uh, not only um, gain an intellectual knowledge of who Christ is, um, but, a, but a devotional knowledge of who he is, um, that our hearts would be more drawn to Christ um, and, and see more clearly uh, what he has accomplished for us uh, through his life and his death and his resurrection um, and the forgiveness that we have through faith in him. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, we are... Closing up, wrapping up the uh, end of Matthew chapter 15. If, if uh, after reading this, after hearing this read this morning, you, you find yourself thinking that it sounds uh, quite familiar and similar to the two stories of feeding and 
healing in chapter 14, you're not crazy. We're not, we're not accidentally teaching the same text that we taught uh, about a month ago. We are, it's, it's a very similar story in a whole new chapter. And, and if you're wondering why the recording of two stories so similar, uh, why would Matthew record two uh, stories that are so similar to, to that before, uh, then, then it's something that, that you're picking on up well. And so at a, at a minimum, what I want us to see this morning at a minimum, this section and these stories, they, they, they come so closely together to, to remind us of how often we need reminders of the mercy and the power and the grace of Jesus, right? Um, so at a minimum, I'm not saying that's the main point of where we're going to be today, but at a minimum, what we're reminded of is that we need to hear the same old stories about the mercy and the, the power and the grace of Jesus, right? I don't know about you, but I need to be, as, as we're going to see in the text today, I need reminders that God has provided for me in the past and that his past faithfulness is sufficient uh, for, for me to trust that he will provide again, that he will continue to provide. And so we are, what the Bible will tell us over and over again, whether directly or indirectly, is that we are a forgetful people, right? I don't know about you, uh, but I can forget things. I, can, I forgot a kid here a few weeks ago uh, and, and didn't even know he was missing until somebody said, where's your other kid? And I said, I guess he's back at the church. And so we had to come back here and, and get him. So we are forgetful people. And that's particularly the case when it comes to the grace of Christ and what Christ has accomplished for us. And if you think that you're not, then one of the reasons why we gather each and every Sunday is to be reminded of what Christ has accomplished for us. And so in one way, Jesus is, uh, is doing business as usual. When I was in youth group in high school, my youth pastor, uh, actually it was Thomas's dad, my youth pastor put up this big sign on the wall and it just said B-A-U with one of those cross out things because his challenge to us was not to do business as usual. Uh, to, be, to be continually transformed by the Word of God, to be continually transformed by the grace of Christ and all those wonderful things. Well, in one way, this is Jesus doing business as usual. He's, uh, he's healing the sick. He's restoring sight. He's feeding the hungry. He's, uh, he's, he's responding with compassion to those who he heals. He, he responds in compassion. He is not put out by the request of the people. We see that over and over again. He's just simply not put out by that. And so one of the things that Kevin so helpfully pointed out last week is that what flows most naturally from Christ to, to those who seek him um, and what flows from his heart most naturally is mercy and compassion. And so that's a, that's a very comforting truth to those who seek Christ. Christ tells us his very heart in Matthew 11. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He, he reveals to us what his heart is. And so if you are seeking Christ, if you are moving towards him and you are not attempting to rebel against him or somehow defeat him in some way, let me just say that his posture towards those who are seeking Christ is mercy and compassion, and he will receive you uh, no matter how weak your faith is or no matter how strong you think your faith is, Christ uh, interacts with us in mercy and compassion. And so another purpose of these stories being told so closely together and being, uh, being told in, in, this, in this manner is because they happened like this. That's a, that's a really good thing to, to recall. So uh, Matthew's responsibility is to tell us about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so it's not just Matthew's trying to teach a couple moral lessons here. 
He's not trying to, keep, uh, trying to teach us a couple moral lessons about Jesus feeding the, the, the 5,000 and the 4,000. No, he is recording what actually happened during the life of Jesus, what Jesus did in his life and his ministry here. And so uh, just on a real practical level, that's why Matthew's recording this, because two different events happened, and we need to know about two, both of those events and the, and the things surrounding them. And so I would, I, would, uh, venture, uh, another, uh, I would venture to say that like John, there are many things that Jesus did, uh, did that are not written down by Matthew. John says in John chapter 20, verse 25, uh, that, that there are many things that Jesus did that are not recorded. And he said, if I did record them, not, not all the books of the world would be able to contain all that Christ did. And so there are things that, that Matthew may not have included about the life of Christ, and there are things that... Uh, that, that he does include. But this repetition of, of these kinds of stories in Matthew likely serves an additional purpose beyond just reminders and beyond just historical fact. We get that? There's, 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 uh, there's, there's something much deeper, and we're going to seek to understand that today on the significance of this second mass feeding. Some of what will be helpful to notice for us, and so if you have your Bibles open, uh, again, we're on page 821. And we're really going to kind of be in the, in the pages around that, 820 and 821. And so uh, some of what will be helpful will be to notice the settings in which these accounts take place. There's, there's a setting, a, a setting. So I don't know about you, but when I was in school, we learned about like plots and storylines and settings and all those things. And so it's really helpful to understand the settings in which these two accounts, um, primarily the account that we have today, Take place, and so the first feeding in Matthew 14. If you go back to Matthew 14, where he feeds the 5,000, beginning in verse 13, the first feeding in Matthew 14 follows Jesus spending several chapters. We see several chapters leading up to this feeding, where Jesus is interacting with religious leaders, primarily around densely uh, densely populated Jewish areas. They were, they were populated primarily by, by Jews. He's interacting with a lot of the religious leaders. He's, he's, he's interacting in those places. In fact, the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14 follows Jesus uh, coming out of his own hometown of Nazareth and facing rejection. And so he's, he's, he's dealing with his own people, those own that Kevin talked about last week, the people of God, that those Jews those of Israel. So our text today records records Jesus performing very similar miracles as we see in Matthew chapter 14, but is on the heels of not Jesus coming out of highly populated Jewish areas. Rather, uh, he's actually taking a trip out to places that the Jewish people held in high contempt, places like Tyre and Sidon. Look in verse uh, 21 of chapter 15. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And so that's where Jesus has been uh, and, and so that's, those are the kind of places where he was, and it's, and it's there that we saw last week, like Kevin mentioned, that, that Jesus interacts with the Canaanite woman, and what does he do with her faith? He commends her faith. So just as, just as faith isn't blind, I think this is a really important principle that we carry into today's text from last week's text, just as our faith is not blind, and, and saving faith isn't blind, uh, Christ's seeking and saving of the lost is not blind. Christ's seeking and saving isn't random. To, we want to be very clear about something, that the Canaanite woman with, with whom Jesus had that awkward encounter with in last week's text, and, and, the, and the crowds in this Gentile region, they were sought by Christ. Jesus went there, right? And so it wasn't like Jesus just happened to come across this lady who he got to call a dog. 
By the way, he was, that wasn't like a, like a bro term, like you're my dog, right? Uh, no, there, there's probably more to that, as Kevin explained last week. So as, as, as interesting as that interaction is, it's important to, to remember that fundamentally, Jesus is the one who went there. Jesus is the one who went there to seek and to save that which was lost. He is the one who went to that Gentile region because as John chapter 17, verse 6 says, I have manifested your name. Jesus is saying this to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And so Jesus interacting and seeking and saving isn't just like he's, throwing out, he's just throwing out a line to see who bites. No, he goes to Tyre and Sidon, and he interacts with this woman. And so Mark then records in his account of, of uh, what happens in our healing and feeding text today, in Mark chapter 7 is, is kind of the sister text to this, in Mark's account, Mark records that what takes place in this feeding and this healing takes place in the region of the Decapolis. Now, I don't understand what all that means, but, but the more people that I studied and, and, and the more that I, I kind of dug into what that, what that means, it would have contained at least both Jews and Gentiles. It would have probably not been a primarily Jewish population. Now, how many Gentiles were there? I don't know. But there was a very strong mix of Jews and Gentiles dwelling with one another. But, but some people believe that the Gentiles likely would have had the majority. They would have been in the majority in the Decapolis where Jesus was, where today's feeding and healing takes place. And so here's, here's why I've set all that up. Because the significance of these two settings in which these two feedings take place uh, cannot be understated. It can't be understated. So remember, the first feeding, Jesus coming off of several chapters of interactions with Jewish people in Jewish primarily land, um, and this feeding takes place on the heels of Jesus coming out of very Gentile regions, those who the Jews would have had strong contempt for. We see that in the text, uh, that those are the places that he was coming from. We see that in Mark's text as well, that Jesus was coming from two different places when these feedings and these healings took place. So in short, in short, I'm going to give you a little teaser here. In short, Jesus is laying the groundwork for the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is going to tell his disciples to go to all nations. And let me just tell you something. According to what we see up to Matthew 28, Jesus is, is, is really in some ways fulfilling the Great Commission himself before he even gives it to his disciples, because he is reaching people from all tongues and tribes and nations. Jesus is doing it. So the Great Commission doesn't start after the, 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 the Jesus leaves and the disciples are left. No, that's where the, maybe where the, where the majority of that happens that carries into today. But Jesus, in this text and in his interaction with the Canaanite woman, is showing us he's being an example. One of the things that we talk about, uh, Kevin actually uh, gave me this great line one time, that Jesus not only... Uh, practices what he preaches, he preaches what he practices. And so Jesus is practicing what he will later preach to the disciples to go into all nations. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that really cool? Just that we see that in this text, that he's dealing with a Canaanite woman, that he's moving throughout Gentile regions, that he's saving people from Jewish and Gentile backgrounds, and all of those things. That's really good news for us. That's really good news for us. And so let's read verses 29 through 31. Uh, if you would, we're, in the, we're in, uh, on page 821 on those Bibles in the seats in front of you. And so uh, we're going to read verses 29 through 31. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing 
with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put him at his feet, and he healed him. So that the crowd wondered. When they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Uh, one, little, one little just side piece here. Get you some friends who will take you to the feet of Jesus, right? <laughs> Get your friends who's going to carry you to Christ um, in, in the most desperate of circumstances. That's just the point of application, uh, and I, I believe it's something that we can see in this text. Get you some friends who's going to take you to Jesus. They may have not all taken Jesus, taken their friends for the right reason, but nonetheless, Get you some friends who are going to point you to Christ in all situations. Amen? I think so. So Isaiah 35, verses uh, 5 through 6. Let me, let, me, uh, let me read that for us this morning, unless somebody beats me there. You didn't beat me there. Here I am. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So Jesus is showing by his miraculous works in these three verses, 29 through 31, Jesus is showing by his miraculous works that he is the promised coming one. So the response of the crowd when they glorified the God of Israel is appropriate because Isaiah prophesied that this is what the coming one would do. He would, he would give sight to the blind. He would help the lame walk. He would, he would provide all these things, and here Jesus is, at the very least, fulfilling prophecy. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not going to refer to that anymore as the very least. That's, that's, probably, that's something highly improbable to do. Uh, you don't just fulfill prophecy when you feel like it, right? Anybody fulfill some prophecy on a Monday? Nope. Uh, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy on some day of the week, and, and, and so we see that. And, and, and what does it say their response is? They glorified the God of Israel. Some commentators will say that's a very uh, interesting re- uh, term for, to be used in the Gospel of Matthew, and, and I think that's gonna, it's going to lead us to, to some things that, that, uh, that go on in this, this next part of the text. And so the one who was promised to Israel by the God of Israel in Isaiah 35 is here. He's shown up. This text affirms that. His works affirm that. He's fulfilling what Isaiah said would happen, and so not only are the miraculous works of Jesus prophesied and fulfilled, but his work among the Gentiles and the Gentiles' response in faith is also prophesied in Isaiah 42. This was our uh, call to worship text this morning, and I realized as I was reading it, we also did that as a call to worship text last week, but that's okay because it, 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 it relates. And so Isaiah 42, uh, we, we see particularly in verses 2 and 3, that it says, he will not, uh, no, no, sorry, verse one, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And it goes on to talk about his work among all people, a light for all nations, a light for all people in verse six. And so not only his miraculous works are prophesied and fulfilled, but the response by those outside the Jewish faith is also prophesied. Hey, people outside the Jewish faith are going to trust this man. They're going to proclaim who he is. The Canaanite woman is one of those examples. And so God's mandate, whether it's his mandate to Adam or his covenant with Abraham, it was ultimately that the world would know through a chosen people the glory of God. So when God gave Adam a mandate to be fruitful and multiply, my glory will be made known among the nations, and he gives Abraham the covenant that he does so that you will be a light to the nations, it always was 
to the ends of, as a means to the ends of, that the whole world would behold and know the glory of God. The whole world. The whole world. All people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues. And so that includes the great commission of Matthew 28. When we get to Matthew 28, Jesus gives his disciples another commission, another mandate, to go and make disciples of all nations. And so God's, God's plan is for his glory to be known throughout all the world among all peoples, and that has always been the case, and it's never not been the case. It's always been the case that, the, that, that God's glory would be known among all peoples. And so it's hard to not see uh, the settings of these texts and recognize what is happening. Matthew has shown his hand from the beginning verses of the gospel by saying, hey, listen, this, this plan that God set forth in the very beginning was a plan that all nations, that all people would know him and glorify him. Verses 32 to 39, let's read that. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Uh, I don't know about you, but to my kids, that probably sounds like some sort of like Marvel place, Magadan, you know, which superhero came out of there. Uh, well, Jesus went there, so that's the superhero. Um, so in this text uh, that we just read, verses 32 to 39, we see many of, the same, many of the same themes that we've seen established throughout Matthew's gospel. We see the compassion of Christ. We see the disciples' inconsistent faith and their forgetfulness. We see Christ's power. We see people satisfied by what Christ offers. Uh, and then we see a boat ride, right? I mean, how often does Jesus ride on a boat? You, you just so many times like, well, he got in a boat and he went to the other side. Sounds like a great life, right? All, all that some of you want is to wind down a productive day on a boat ride. Uh, if, if you need that, I know a guy with a boat, and uh, he is Brian. Um, I don't know. If you have a boat, now's the time to let us know. Uh, some of you just want to end a productive day uh, with, a, with a boat ride, but... Um, in, both of these, in both of the accounts of Jesus feeding thousands of people, in Matthew 14, feeding 5,000, and here, feeding 4,000, you notice that Jesus uses his disciples to distribute the food. Did you notice, did you pick up on that? Jesus isn't the one who hands it all out. He uses the 12. He, he calls the 12 to him, and, and uh, it says that he, that he uh, uses them. And in fact, maybe this is a picture. I don't know. It's somewhat speculative. So, so please just hear this as conjecture and not as something that we see in the text. But perhaps it's a picture of what he will later entrust them with in the Great Commission. I know we keep coming back to the Great Commission. But it's almost like Jesus wanted to get some muscle memory into these people. He's wanting to get some muscle memory into these disciples. Hey, you're going to hand out bread now, but ultimately I'm going to leave you. And what you're going to hand out is the hope of eternal life to all people, the gospel. And Jesus is Jesus has maybe just given them a little bit of foretaste of that. And in the in the first feeding that we see in, in Genesis uh, or, or in, Ma in Matthew chapter fourteen, I'm just going to throw something out there. Is 
we're not going to dig in too deeply, and we're not being crazy by asking these questions. It's okay to, to ask these kinds of questions, especially because uh, if we realize that today uh, we are probably a lot less uh, sensitive to numbers in the Bible. There's some numbers in the Bible here in these two texts that are very significant. Uh, our sister Janice, I'm just going to kind of I'm just going to kind of give her a shout out. If you want to know about like numbers and here's a fancy word, numerology, uh, maybe go talk to our sister Janice because she's done just a lot of great study um, and, can, and can really direct you and, and probably kind of bring to light. Uh, Janice is one of those uh, that, that when I talk to and, and there's numbers seen in the scripture, she's like, there's a number here, we need to look at it. Um, and so it's just, a, it's very helpful. For us today, we often just breeze by these numbers. We breeze by the fact that Jesus, just follow me here a little bit. I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to be crazy and, and I'll, I, we won't spend a whole lot of time on this, but it's, it's, it's a little bit unique that Jesus has just left Jewish lands in Matthew chapter 14 and he feeds 5,000 and how many baskets are left over? 12. So, so God, Jesus is, is really, God is showing us through his son Jesus that, hey, he is, he is the, the, the Messiah and the redeemer of his people. And he will save his people. He will, to the uttermost, will save and provide for his people. And it's interesting that uh, though many people may have not fully understood and put together the fact that, okay, this plan involves more than just the Jews. It's going to involve the Gentiles too. It's interesting that after this text in Matthew 15, how many baskets are left over? Number of completion. The fact that Jesus is fulfilling his plan, the plan that God set forth from the beginning. He's going to provide sufficiently for his covenant people, Israel. But, but he's also going to show us here when he comes out of Gentile lands and there's seven baskets left over and there's seven loaves there that, hey, he's also the sufficient savior for all the world, not just for, not just for the covenant people, but also for all who would trust in him, whether Jew or Gentile. Galatians talks about some, some about that. So just know, numbers are not arbitrary in the scriptures. <laughs> we, we're not going to claim that for sure that's what these things mean, uh, but I'm not the first person to have, to have brought this thing up. As, as you read throughout church history, there's lots of people who have, have made these possible connections, and, and I think it's, a, it's at least something that points us to a bigger truth that God is, it does, is not abandoned his promise to his people, but he is also fulfilling his promise to all, all nations in the whole world. And so Jesus shows us here that not living by bread alone doesn't mean that we don't live by bread at all, right? Uh, some, sometimes we want to say, well, we don't live by bread alone. Well, that he's not saying we don't live by bread at all. We, we do live by, by bread. So Jesus feeding these people. He's meeting a very important need. He gladly and sufficiently meets the needs of those around him. He very happily in a compassionate way, as the text says, meets the needs of those around him. They're hungry. They're in a desolate place. They've been with him for three days. They've been, they've been following him all this time. And, in a, and how does Jesus respond? He responds in compassion, and he feeds them. And so just by way of application, I submit that one of the lessons that we come away with, this is, this is just a way that we can look at this text and, and see, first and foremost, I think what we need to see is the power and the mercy and the grace of Christ. Hey, Jesus is a powerful, merciful, sufficient Savior who is worthy of all of your trust, not just because he has good things to give, right, but because of who he is, because of, of, of who he, like he's, he's worth trusting. I hope that my children don't only love me because of the provisions that I make for them, but also they love me because they know that I am a trustworthy person. 
They, they, they love me. They have a kind of security with me um, that, that, that even if I can't give them all the things that they want, that they know that my best, that I have their best interest in mind. And so Jesus is worth trusting because he will quite often meet all of your physical needs, but Jesus is also worth trusting. And I think that's what we're supposed to see here. I think we're supposed to see that Jesus is a powerful, merciful, gracious Savior who's worthy of trusting, and that beyond that, he often does meet our needs. In fact, I would say he always meets our needs, always. I'd I'd say that very confidently, even though there are many in here who struggle. There are many in here who ask that question, is God going to provide? Is God going to to meet my needs? And I I I, I could always confidently answer, yes, I just don't know how. We don't know how he'll, he'll meet those needs, but he, but he will. And so by way of application, that's, the, that's one of the lessons that I want us to come away with in these feedings is God's ability to, to provide. As, as a pastor, this seems to be one of the most frequent conversations. Will God provide? Had a, had a conversation yesterday uh, with, with one of our folks, seriously asking, like not, not, not directly asking, but just kind of overwhelmed by the needs that are present in their lives. And will God continue to provide. And, and upon hearing about that stress of, of not knowing where all those provisions are going to come from, very quickly after hearing that, he shared with me, but let me tell you like two or three crazy things that have happened since then, how God's just provided. And he's going to continue to do that. Um, and, and, and that's just a, a, a wonderful thing. And so it's not always asked in the way of will God provide, even if it's not, it's not even doubtful most of the time. It's not even like there's no way God's going to come through here. It's just a, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Just kind of that, man, when's things going to hit the fan around here, right? Um, but, but God's always going to provide. The disciples in verse 33 show us how natural that question is. Uh, after seeing Jesus provide over and over again, look what the disciples ask in verse 33. Somebody read verse 33. Somebody read uh, chapter 14, verse 15. And then here, just a chapter later, they're asking, where are we, we going to get this bread? Where, where are we going to get this bread? And so after seeing Jesus provide over and over again, not just in these two situations, I've seen Jesus provide over and over again. That's the, that's the question they, ha- they have. Where are we going to get bread? Maybe they're like, hey, we, we, we saw you do it last time, but I don't know about this time. Not sure, not sure if that can happen again. I, I don't see, when we read this text, I don't see how this isn't intended to highlight our own propensity to the same kind of forgetfulness and lack of trust in God's provision. I don't see how we can read this and, and somehow be like, be overly judgmental of these disciples. Amen? Um, I don't see how we can read this and think, man, those, those fools, right? Because how often are we in that same spot that, that we have seen God provide time and time and time again, yet we can ask because of our current circumstances and current situation, where are we going to get bread? Where, how, how is God going to provide? One, one commentator calls this, this text uh, an example of Christian amnesia. 
Uh, and, and so these, these, this is a, an example of Christian amnesia. How many, how many times has God provided, yet each new opportunity, each new need is a new opportunity for us to trust Christ and to see God come through? And it's okay to confess this tendency in us. You know that, right? It's okay for us as, as, as weak people. I'm really grateful for my brother yesterday uh, confessing this to me, saying, you know what, I, I've just been kind of anxious and, and kind of worked up over this. And, and, and we were able to encourage one another, and, and, and then he was able to share stories. His confession was followed up by stories of praise. And, and man, that's just a, a wonderful thing. And so it's okay to confess and be honest about this tendency in us. In fact, the disciples, Matthew and Mark, they're the ones writing these stories about themselves. You know that, right? You would think that all the possible stories that they left out, they might have left out that line. Surely you would think... You would have seen Matthew write and be like, ooh, man, I can't, I can't write this. People are going to think I am crazy. But aren't you grateful that the Lord included this in his word? Uh, that we too would see this tendency in us and realize that, that Christ will respond in compassion even towards us when we forget and he will continue to provide for us. But Matthew and Mark both are sure to include it because testimony of the Lord's ability to provide and extend grace towards their own lack of faith is something that will encourage our faith as well. And so I want to I pray for us, and I want to ask you even, just, I, I, I was planning to do this at the front end. Uh, maybe we'll, I don't know, if we do this right now, maybe I'll just do it right now. It's kind of, I know this, this plane's kind of landing in a different way than it normally does, but I just want to ask you to, to ponder, to consider ways that the Lord has provided for you. Maybe it was this week. Maybe it's been in the last year or so uh, that the Lord has, has provided. Um, and it's good for us to share those things, or at least to recall them on our own, uh, because as we see in this text, and as we see all throughout the scriptures, we're a forgetful people. And if we just so happen to forget the way that God has provided for us in the past, we may fail to trust him for the provision that he has for us now and in the future. So I'm just going to ask you to, to bow your heads. Uh, Think about um, maybe a way that God's provided for you, and in just a little bit, we may ask for you to share some of those stories um, with, with us, with the church body. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time here, and uh, we thank you for, for uh, time in your word this morning. Thank you for what uh, you reinforce for us. Thank you that uh, there's two so similar stories uh, this closely in the scriptures, that, that we can see just how quick we are to, to, to move on and to forget about the provision that you have made for us. We know that the ultimate provision that, that we have been given in our lives is, is uh, peace with God, is eternal life, salvation. We know and we proclaim this morning that that salvation is only possible through faith in Christ, through, through trust in what he has done, and, and so, Lord, we just pray this morning that we receive what, what, you have, what you have given and what you have offered to us, all the benefits of our salvation. We know that you, you don't just save us and, and, and then just set us to sail out to sea. Lord, you, uh, you save us uh, into a life of, of, uh, of great benefits, and those benefits in, include obedience to you. Uh, they include uh, walking with you. Uh, through, through the highs and the lows of life, and walking with the people of God uh, through those same circumstances and situations that we encourage one another and we remind one another of the truth of your word.
And so, Lord, as we come to the table this morning, uh, may we be reminded uh, that though we come empty-handed, uh, we, we are met uh, by your grace uh, through your salvation of us. Uh, and and this, this, this cup and this bread remind us of the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.